You hear about Biden? See what he's doing? Did you hear about the Supreme Court? Did you hear about the decision that they made or the decision that they might make? Did you hear about Fauci? Poor Fauci. I watched somebody just rail against him the other day. And some of you probably think he's the, I don't know, the Antichrist or something. But I I feel bad for Fauci. He's this old guy, like in his mid-80s, trying to pretend he's the expert on something we know nothing about. We know a little bit more today than we did 18 months ago about the virus, but he's, he's up there with a smile on his face trying to give some direction, and he's, he's, got a tall, he's got a tall order. Another side note, I bought some Fauci throw pillows for my brother the other day. <laughs> Not Matt, another brother, Dave, who uh, is a pretty funny guy, great sense of humor, and I just thought it would be hilarious. I f- saw these on Amazon and thought he needs to have Anthony Fauci throw pillows for his birthday. So we brought them to him, and of course he doesn't want these pillows. But they got Fauci's face embroidered on them, and then his little signature at the bottom. So he puts them away, you know, and then when we go to his house, we find them, because they're in a closet. We find them, and we put them on his bed when we leave, so he knows that we were in his room. Actually, Holly, my wife, does that. She's much funnier than me. She's actually hilarious. It's where I get all my best material is from Holly. Back to um, what are you scared of? We're supposed to be serious. I'm supposed to be trying to work you up here a little bit. Did you hear about Russia? Did you hear about Putin? He might invade the Ukraine. It's going to be the largest European conflict since World War II. Did you hear about that? Did you hear about China? Did you hear about Xi? Oh, he's posturing. Looks like he's going like to go into Taiwan. Did you hear about the cybersecurity event, Log4J, whatever, why they call it that, I have no idea. Oh, it's the biggest cybersecurity event in history, it's breaking records, it's going to be huge, it's going to take down the internet maybe. Do you know what mine is? When I think about what I'm, what I'm scared of, I was trying to figure this out and I'm, I'm thinking about this question while I'm standing at my desk watching the stock market. And I'm like, oh, it's the stock market, that's what works me up, I'm a... I'm a financial advisor. I manage money for people, as most of you know. And so that is what I watch. And, and I've got a lot of eggs in that basket. Probably too many eggs in that basket. I actually told my wife the other day, I don't think the stock market affects me anymore. I think I'm over it. My treasure is in heaven. It is not in the stock market. And she's like, oh, that's great. And then the next day, a stock that I own dropped 40% in one day. And I go home and I'm like, oh, my gosh. DocuSign. What happened to DocuSign? I love DocuSign. It's a great company. It's growing like crazy. And she goes, didn't you just tell me that this, this stock market doesn't affect you? I, I lied. You know, I'm weak. I'm ridiculous. I'm obsessed about the here and now. Al-Qaeda, Taliban, uh, ISIS, uh, I mean, like, what, what else is there? Oh, how about floods? <laughs> it's not a flood, but it would be in other places. Floods, droughts, tornadoes in the Midwest, hurricanes, climate change. What is it that gets you worked up when you watch the news? And then let me ask Christians, what do we have to be afraid of? What are we afraid of? What are we getting so worked up about? Why is our hair on fire when certain things happen? 
Don't we know the future? Don't we know what's coming? Can't we look at what's happening here and now and look beyond that? Look, look on the horizon, look up and see, and see Jesus is going to come back to renew and restore creation. Don't we know that? What do we have to be afraid of? We know the second coming is coming in the future. And the wars, the persecution, the, the destruction and disaster can't hold a candle to that. Jesus is bigger than this. We are in this place where we're in between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. We're in this, this weird place. We, we know about him on the, on the first coming and we're waiting for him in the second coming. But which do we prefer to think about? Do you want to think about the first coming or the second coming? What, what's easier for you to think of? It's the first coming, isn't it? It's Christmas. He's just a cute little baby. There's that little star hanging over the barn. The manger, the animals, the gentle, the meek, the lowly, the humble Jesus. He's amazing. Rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. We love that Jesus. We love that guy, don't we? And we struggle to think about the second coming because it's like Star Wars, apocalyptic. It's sci-fi, it feels like. Scripture tells us like, the, the seas are going to be roaring and there's going to be earthquakes and the heavens are going to be shaking. The sun will be darkened. The moon won't show its light anymore. Stars will be literally falling from the sky and the Son of Man will be coming in a cloud. What? How do you wrap your head around that? It's a struggle, man. For me, I don't know about for, I don't know about for you guys, but I think it is for most of us. We got to push through that struggle and we got to think about the second coming. We've got to believe in the second coming just as much as the first coming. If we don't believe in the second coming, we are missing out on the power, on part of the power of being a Christian. We miss out on the, on the power that helps change our attitudes and our outlooks right here and right now. That's what we're talking about today. That's what Jesus is talking about today in this passage. We're going to camp on one verse. At least to start. It's verse 28. This is, this is how we're going to do it this morning. This is how we're going to harness this power of the second coming. Okay? Verse 28 says, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because redemption is drawing near. Charles Spurgeon wrote a sermon in 1885 that was awesome. And he shortened this verse down to two words. Look up. We've got to look up and see our rescue is on its way. See, our Savior is, is on the horizon, right around the corner. He's coming for us. We've got to look up in the midst of disaster. We've got to look up and see the disaster of this world is just a sign of things to come. And we've got to look up and see the one who is to come. That's where we're headed today. That's what we're doing. Let's read the Bible. Want to? Let's see. Let's see what the Bible has for us. Verse 5 is where we're going to start. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. I'll stop there. Made it one verse out of 33. This, is, this might take forever. 
Disciples are cruising around. They're walking around the temple. They're hanging out in Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, Jesus, what do you think of this temple? It's pretty sweet, right? This is pretty great. It's like hundreds of feet tall. It's these stones that are the size of semis, I guess, stacked on top of each other. It's plated with gold. The exterior is. This thing must have been a beacon, you know, from, from miles away. You could see this thing shining as bright as the sun. And so they're just trying to see what Jesus thinks of the temple. Hey, what do you think about this temple? And Jesus says, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. <laughs> oh, okay. It's getting, it's getting torn apart. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. Is he talking about Fauci? I'm just kidding. No, he's not talking about Fauci. Probably Joseph Smith and Muhammad and maybe some guys we haven't met yet in the future. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Let's stop. Let's stop there. Jesus calls it. He says the temple's going to get torn down. And sure enough, in their lifetime, I think it took 50 years to build the temple, approximately 50 years. It was built and finished for seven, and then it was torn down, and then it was destroyed. How and what effort would it take to get the stones the size of semis knocked down? Somebody went through great lengths to knock this temple down. They were ticked. But not only does he predict the temple, in verse 20 he goes on to say that Jerusalem is going to get conquered. And he predicts how it's going to be conquered. That Rome is going to surround the city and choke it off. They're going to starve them out. Jesus warns them about this in advance and says, flee, run, get out of there. But Rome comes, surrounds Jerusalem, doesn't let anybody in, doesn't let anybody out. People are dying left and right. They don't have places to put the bodies, so they're throwing them over the walls of the city. And then Rome, after a while, just walks in, pushes everybody over because they're so weak because they don't have any food, and conquers them. Jesus calls it. Everything has come true that he predicted. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was conquered. And the disciples thought, oh, this is the beginning of the end. This is it. This is it. Jesus is, Jesus is coming. He should be here any minute. But it was not the beginning of the end. It was just the opposite. It was just the end of the beginning, as we can see now, looking back 2,000 years ago. Verse 9. And when you hear of wars and tumults, which I had to look up. Uh, that's a riot, I guess. When you hear of wars and riots... Do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. 3,421 years of written, recorded history we have. 3,421. This is from Kent Hughes. All of them have had wars, except for 268. So less than 10% of, of the years. And probably the 268, the wars just didn't get recorded. Wars rage on, don't they? They're still, they're still raging. Verse 10, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. 
wars, persecution, destruction, disaster. They're still coming. Jesus is warning us. Our our lives as Christians will not be free of pain and suffering, but we will have the power to persevere in the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of disaster. And the way we do it is we look up. We get our eyes up and see what's coming. The persecution was intense back then for these people. They, They were ruthless going after these Christians, and so they scattered They scattered all over, and the gospel was scattered along with them. In verse 12, Jesus, this is another thing that he prophesied over that became true. In verse 12, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogue and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand or how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom. And we have a record of this, of them. Jesus, when he speaks, it's so layered. There's so much going on. He's talking to them, but he's also talking to us. Back then, they they persecuted them, and then what happened? We have written record in Acts of Peter and I think Stephen that are standing in front of the Sanhedrin and they are blowing their minds with their incredible wisdom. They're teaching the teachers as they're accusing them. It's phenomenal. Persecution started back then. Is persecution happening now? Uh, Maybe. It's pretty limited compared to what they experienced back then. We feel like things are maybe starting to get hostile, but nothing compared to them. But Jesus is warning us that persecution is coming. Not only persecution, but also destruction. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed Jerusalem. Are we seeing any destruction these days? When I was thinking about destruction, I, I had this image of the Twin Towers coming down, right? The, um, the video, or I was just watching a bunch of videos for the 20-year anniversary and just reliving that experience, that cloud of dust that everybody is running from as those towers are coming down. That was some serious destruction in our nation. More recently, we've got the riots in Portland and in Kenosha. People are ticked. They're just, they're just torching the place. There was destruction. There is destruction. And the destruction will continue. How about disasters? How about natural disasters? Are we seeing any natural disasters? Tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, droughts, fires, earthquakes. What does Jesus say about these? Not a head, not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your life. By our endurance, by our perseverance, we will gain our lives. How do we persevere? What do we do? We've got to look up and find that peace that transcends understanding. We've got to look up and see not only Jesus on the cross, but Jesus in the cloud coming for us. That gives us an inner peace and an outward joy. Allows us to put a smile on our face no matter what's happening around us. That inner peace, that outer joy gives us the perseverance and the endurance to to take on whatever is coming our way. We live on a sinking ship 
in one heck of a storm, all right? And we are getting tossed to and fro in this world. The, the seas are, are roaring, waves are breaking over us. But we have the ability to stand firm in the midst of that. We look up, we look to the horizon, and we await our redemption. We not only can keep our composure, but we can find joy because we know the best is yet to come. And we know the disasters that we're experiencing here and now are just a sign of things to come. They're pointing what we're going through. The stuff that freaks us out is pointing to the things that are to come. Let me, uh, let me keep reading in verse 29 now. We're going to skip around a little bit at this point. Verse 29, and he told them a parable. It's like his shortest parable of all time. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Just like a fig tree and all the other trees, when they sprout leaves, we know summer is around the corner. Just so we know when the destruction and the disaster shows up, whether you're experiencing it or somebody near you is experiencing, we know that Jesus is right around the corner. Summer is near. I was thinking about a peony bulb that we, that we have. We have peonies in our backyard. They are unattractive bulbs. They are like black and nothing special. You shove them in the ground, six inches under the soil. You cover them up in a dark, damp, cold spot. And what comes? The spring comes, the summer comes, and those things, those things just like erupt with beauty. It's an incredible flower. Darkness often brings light. Haven't we seen this before? Haven't we seen this theme? Isn't this the gospel? The bad news brings the good news? Isn't that what Psalm 30 is talking about? Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy come in the morning. You have turned for me the morning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Like a, fig, like a fig leaf comes before summer, like night comes before day, like Good Friday came before Easter, so the wars, persecution, destruction, and disaster will bring the renewal and the restoration of creation, of earth. That means everything we see, and that includes all of us, for those that believe. It says in verse, let me find this, in verse 34, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. We cannot be weighed down by the cares of this life. We cannot hang our heads in fear and sadness because what's going on around us? We have got to get our heads up. And see that the, the difficulty that we're experiencing now is going to bring Jesus. Spurgeon says, I wish we could get into the habit of believing every time of want, every time of pain, every time of depression is but the commencement of a season of blessing. We got to look up. We got to look down at the disasters that are happening. It's inevitable that we see those. And then we got to look up and see that's pointing to what's coming. 
So what's coming? Verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The Son of Man coming in a cloud. Two pieces to this. Son of Man is just another title for Jesus. Jesus is coming in a cloud. We need to look up and see the cloud first. Now, what I'm not saying is that you should go outside and look up and see if you can spot Jesus in the clouds. Like, puppy, that one's definitely a bunny. That's Jesus. I think it's him. I think he's coming. Somebody's already done that. Okay? I don't know if you know of Jesus over Jerusalem, but somebody in town already took a picture. Wyatt, you can put that first picture up. Already took a picture of, G- of a, an image of Jesus in the cloud. He made a business out of it, and you can get everything from a T-shirt to a mug. Well, this is really small, but that small part in the middle is a, is a picture of Jesus. You, I think that's his website, Jesus over Jerusalem. You can get a coffee cup. You can get a mouse pad with this image on it. You can get a T-shirt. You can get all kinds of stuff. It's called Jesus over Jerusalem. He is, he's taking this very seriously and making money at it, okay? I actually, I'm, I don't fault the guy. Like, he's blessing people, I think, and he's making a living. I, th- I think it's great. I actually think he should expand it. Not just Jesus over Jerusalem in a cloud, but what about Jesus on a Walmart receipt? Do we have that picture? Jesus on a Walmart receipt. You could do a whole nother line. Or what about the next one? We could, we could even go further. Jesus in plaster. Do you see him? The creepy picture there around the corner of that <laughs> bathtub looking around the corner. <laughs> this is what, I'm sorry. This is what happens last night when I get going on something. I found a website. All right, so what's the next one? I'm just getting started. I'm sorry. Jesus on a pancake. <laughs> I mean, you could, do a whole, you could do a whole thing. That deserves to be on a, on a coffee cup. What's the next one? This, we're coming to my favorite. Ah, Jesus on an orange. <laughs> I don't know exactly what. Oh, I guess that's him up top with the crown there. I think this next one's my favorite. Okay, what's the next one? Is it the, the sock? Jesus in a sock. Can you even believe this? Look at that. This is creepy. And only one more, I think. Utility pole, is that what we got? Matt Hitz took this picture at work one day. (laughs) Jesus on a utility pole on a t-shirt. Come on. All right, we got to get serious again. The cloud. Back to the cloud. Okay. Jesus is in a cloud. He's coming in a cloud. Why does the cloud matter? Everything matters in scripture. It's all so rich. It's all so symbolic. It's so many meanings. I actually love this because I'm no theologian. I'm no professor. So I get to learn this stuff and it's like, no way. The cloud is incredible. The cloud represents the presence of God in the Old Testament. And the presence of God. Where where do we find the presence of God? The immediate presence of God? Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in the Garden of Eden. In paradise. 
The presence of God is in paradise. This is what Tim Keller said about this. Because the presence of God was there, he's talking about the Garden of Eden, the absolute, immediate presence of God, in the presence of God's overwhelming beauty, power, glory, and holiness, in the presence of, oh, I just read that, didn't I? No, in the presence of his absolute and utter aliveness, nothing dead, nothing diseased, nothing broken, nothing evil, nothing twisted can exist. That's why it was paradise, because the presence of God was there. What happens when you remove the immediate presence of God? What happens when Adam and Eve gets the boot out of the, out of the Garden of Eden? Sickness, death, evil, Wars, persecution, destruction, disaster, enter our story. Later on in the Old Testament, the presence of God comes back and leads them through the wilderness, through the desert. What, what, did that, what form did that take? It was a cloud. That was a cloud. That was the presence of God. They called it the glory cloud. They, call, they had a name for it, Shekinah in Hebrew. The, the cloud is so important. So do you see what, what Jesus is telling us here? He's coming in a cloud. The cloud is coming back. The presence of God is going to surround the earth. It's going to renew and restore it back to paradise. Back to the way, back, back, back to the way that it started in the Garden of Eden. The cloud is, it means so much. But not everything. The Son of Man is in the cloud. We gotta look up and see the one who is to come. We gotta look at the one who's in the cloud. It's the most important piece. He's coming back and he's bringing our redemption with him. Do we need redemption? We're lost, we're broken, we're sinful. We shouldn't be terrified of the things that are happening around us, but we are. We shouldn't be weighed down by the cares of the world, but we are. And our lives are a disaster, some of us more than others, at times. We need redemption, don't we? He's coming. The great judge is coming to redeem us. And we will stand before him on judgment day. And we will await our verdict like Kyle Rittenhouse awaited his verdict. Did you guys see this? The other day, this is a couple weeks ago, Rittenhouse was the 17-year-old kid that was carrying the AR in Kenosha trying to, trying to um, protect some businesses. And he ended up getting harassed and he shot three people. Two died, one, one was just injured. 17-year-old kid. I actually don't care. I, that's mean. I don't want to have a discussion about whether you think it was wise or unwise. That's not the point. The point is his, his, the video of him standing in front of the jury, okay? The 17-year-old turned 18-year-old kid awaiting his verdict. Life in prison or a completely free man, young man at that. He stands there. And, and it, oh, I had to turn it on because it was so intense. And he's standing there, you know, 17-year-old kid, kind of got a little tremble like this. And they start, reading his, they start reading his verdict. We, the jury, find the defendant on, on the, the account of murder in the whatever degree. We, we find the defendant, Kyle Rittenhouse, not guilty. And he starts to shake a little bit. 
And they read the second count of whatever that next charge was. We, the defendant, find Kyle Rittenhouse not guilty. And on the third count, and on the fourth count, and on the fifth count, we find the defendant, Kyle Rittenhouse, not guilty, and he collapses. Oh, dude, it, like, it took my breath away, and like, it choked me up. Just thinking about this kid, what he must have been going through as he's waiting for this, for this, this decision that determines the rest of his life. What will it be like when we stand before God and he looks at our rap sheet and he says on the charge of whatever, you know, all the stuff that we have done, all the ways that we've made a disaster of our life, on these charges we find not guilty. What? Not guilty. Like will we be able to stand? Will we even be able to stand or will we collapse into a pile? For those of us that believe in Jesus, that's the case. And how are we found not guilty? How how did that happen? Our great judge who will be judging us. Why Why is he such a great judge? Because he stood in our place and he took our charges. He took our guilt and heard the verdict. Guilty, guilty, guilty. He was condemned, so we would be redeemed forever. He served a a death sentence on the cross so we could live eternal life forever. Do you see? That's what we're looking forward to. That is what we're looking forward to. Look up and believe in the second coming. Look up and think about the second coming. Don't just go to the first coming. We've got we've to think about the second coming too and find joy in that. Look up in the midst of disaster. Look up and see that disaster is a sign of what's to come and look up and see that the presence of God is coming to earth to renew and restore everything and it's going to be epic. That's the message today. Let's pray, and we'll invite the band to come forward. Heavenly Father, we we thank you so much for this story. We thank you so much for Jesus' words here. We thank you for for the power of the second coming. We thank you that... um, we get to learn some new stuff. We get to, we get to see, just, just to get a glimpse of how incredible this is going to be. The second coming is, is going to be unmistakable. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be incredible. I pray that we would have strength. Jesus says, pray for strength so that you can endure the wars, the destruction, the persecution, and disaster. We pray for the strength to endure all of that here and now. We thank you that that's coming. We look forward to that. We pray this in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand up and grab grab, uh, the body and the blood here, and we're going to talk through communion together.